For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. My name is Luke. I am joined by Will and Matthias, who are also always here. And we are going to have a fun show for you today because newly minted father Mike Miracles slash Mike Herndon is going to be joining us to talk about the Titans draft. So that's going to be very exciting. We look forward to talking with Mike. We're also, amongst ourselves, going to discuss a few topics, uh, namely the Titans signing Jonathan Joseph to add to the fold at cornerback. Uh, other cornerback news being Logan Ryan announcing that he and the Titans are donezo, that that's not going to happen. Uh, so we think we've got a good show for you today. You know, it is interesting, though, because... We're, we're not there yet, I don't think, because, as I said, I do think we have a pretty full show. But, guys, we're, I was on the phone the other day with, with Austin Stanley, my boss. He was like, well, Luke, I think we're getting close to list season when it comes to content. We are we're close. We're, we're on the brink. Thankfully, there's still some news that's coming out, and there are still a couple of free agents, big-name free agents for the most part, that are still available, and we could talk about whether the Titans are interested in them or might be linked to them or might look at them. So thankfully we still have that and the draft is kind of still fresh, but it's kind of whittling away also. So I think like two more weeks and we're going to, we're going to have to bring you guys maybe the the quarterback rankings and we might have to rank every single position group in the NFL at that point. Which uh, I'm totally down for, by the way. Yeah, so me too. I cannot wait to argue about our quarterback 13 versus quarterback 14s in these rankings. You know, I thought about doing it's like, and I think we, we've talked about doing this before, but like, what if for an episode we just said we're going to go back and find our, not even from the podcast, like maybe even from writing, just our worst takes of all time, maybe on Twitter too. Because I know I am. 
I'm so down for that because on Twitter yeah. I have several, several <laughs> Titans tweets from way back in the day that are just horrendous, and yeah. I would love to unearth them. Yeah, I don't want to spoil yeah. it, but for me what immediately comes to mind is blasting the Chiefs for trading Alex Smith and and making Patrick <laughs> Mahomes their starter. And drafting a guy who wasn't very good at Texas Tech. <laughs> but, well, I, you know, like – I think it'd, I think it'd be fun to do like one good and one bad, just so uh, we don't totally kill our self esteem. Because <laughs> yes. there's some picks where I'm like, there's some things I like bold predictions and stuff I made that I make so many bad ones that I forget about the good ones that I make, and I feel like I would love to focus on those just as kind of a, not to stick it in the face of anybody, but. You know, for everybody's like, don't get excited over a fifth round pick. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure Jalen Brown's going to be good. And why are we playing him over every week? Or like all those conversations from 2015 or 16 or whatever. I'd love to revisit those. Do you remember when we were all three at Titan sized and, and Matias was running the Twitter account and he tweeted, name your Titans bold prediction before the Chiefs wildcard game? And that Alan mm-hmm. Matthews guy said Mariota throws a touchdown pass to himself. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We made it to like good morning football. Yeah. It was insane. What a crazy, like, I mean, of all the predictions, I mean, I guess I'll just do that anytime anybody asks me from now on, and maybe I'll get one right too, but probably not. Like, that's just an insane thing. Like, that's one of the signs that time travel is possible. I mean, I I saw something the other day. It was like a random tweet from like 2014. And it was a painfully specific prediction that happened. I, I, something with the it NFL. The, it was the Colin Coward, right? Colin Coward saying that he thought that in 2020 the draft would be all digital. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. That's what it was. I remember that tweet. Yeah. One of the few that Cowherd got right, like well, that people remember. I, we might not be done talking about Colin Cowherd in this episode. Um, we might have to get to him in the last <laughs> segment. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> But before that, before we talk to Mike Herndon, let's let's talk a little bit about the Titans' newest addition through free agency, Jonathan Joseph. Um, someone that I have criticized on this podcast because I have talked a lot about how, you know, I, we get to watch the Texans a lot because they play the Titans twice a year. And every time I've watched that team over the last two years in particular, I've just shaken my head and been like, this secondary is one of the worst I have ever seen. And Jonathan Joseph was like their number one guy at cornerback. Um, but I do still think he can have value for the Titans. But before I explain why I think that, you you guys, what do y'all think about this signing? I think when it happened, I think I, I wrote to you guys, ideally he doesn't play a snap the whole season. Yes. And that's not really, that's not really a knock on him. It's just you want your top three cornerbacks, top four cornerbacks to always see the field. And Joseph is probably, that's probably his his best case scenario right now, that he's the cornerback four. Uh, although that's to be debated because they brought back Ty Smith, who is younger, and he's actually performed rather well when he's been given a chance. Uh, but we'll see, given his veteran presence, he's probably going to be that fourth cornerback. I don't think they're going to bring Christian Fulton along slowly. I think he's going to start right away. Uh, I don't think you take a, a cornerback uh, that high end of that caliber to not start him right away. But I think Joseph could could do in a pinch. I really do. Uh, I know he's old, uh, but he's 36. It's not like he's 40, 40-plus. 40 it's not that bad. He's lost a lot of speed, but I, I still think he could be a solid 
zone type of court cornerback and, and he's produced over the past three years he has five interceptions over the past three years so uh and he has familiar familiarity with Mike Rabel from his time in Houston so I don't hate the signing yeah the Titans defensive backs are really weird right now because you've either got the starters or you've got the backups behind which are a mix of guys who are special teamers guys who are hybrid corners and safeties who are really athletic that Robinson's gotten on day three and then you've got Jonathan Joseph which is kind of the Kendrick Lewis, not necessarily Logan Ryan, like one of these guys who is really good to have in the room, should help everybody learn, can help coach on the field, and who you hope that if you have to play him for a two or three game stretch, you can put him in there and they don't get embarrassed like what happened at the end of the season for the Titans last year. So I think this move needs to be more like, okay, this is the Titans taking somebody who that – they hope they don't have to play, but if they do, they hope it's from week 13 to 16 as they're making a playoff push, and they know exactly by that time that he, he's he got the defense down, he can communicate it with other people, he's experienced. That doesn't strike me as a signing of somebody who they want to play to start out and then replace later with Fulton. So I, I all that said, I think he's like going to be a healthy scratch a lot of times for special teams guys like Chris Milton and – you know, Dane Cruikshank and all those other defensive backs to keep that flexibility. But I think he's the first guy off that, you know, healthy and active list once the season starts and once there's injuries that pile up. Okay. Um, I've got a couple thoughts on what you guys shared. You know, as you were talking, Matias and Will, you, you kind of mentioned this thing too of like, you know, they'll kind of be maybe the fourth, fifth guy. And then Will, you were like, well, I think he could be even a healthy scratch even if uh, – you know, so they want to bring up someone like Milton who can play special teams. I just can't get past the fact that Mike Vrabel loves his guys. And we saw it with Kendrick Lewis. And, and I think we've seen it with some other players too where – and it's not really like favoritism, I don't think. It's just that he's extremely comfortable with familiarity – and it's like he'll go for that over maybe who's more talented. I think that's fair, but I think special teams is going to have to play a part. I mean, unless Fulton is going to play special teams, which is possible. Um, but if he doesn't and Joseph is your cornerback forward, that's your top four cornerbacks that aren't playing special teams. Yeah. And although doesn't but I feel like I see Malcolm Butler – and Bayard playing special teams at times. I really don't know. Well, well Bayard the, is the personal protector on punts, but he doesn't play, play kick on But he doesn't play on kick coverage. Yeah. Or does he? He, do, he doesn't play on any return or kickoff. He only plays punt like when they're punting because he's the personal protector. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so I don't think you'd have your top four cornerbacks. None of them play special teams. Uh, and, and then you don't want to carry like six or seven onto game day because Milton needs to be a, he needs to be active because he's that yeah. good of a special teamer. Kalu is has become like a core special teamer as well. Uh, Ty Smith has played special teams too. I don't uh, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the plan is. I there. mean that that's the thing. Your four core special teamers, if you're the Titans, are Joshua Kalu. That's one. Ty Smith two. 
Dane Crookshank three and Chris Milton four. Yeah. Those are kind of your guys, right. and then you bring in that's from from the DBs, and then Nick DeZubnar will probably step into the Darren Bates role at linebacker. Yes, of course, DeZubnar. Yeah. yeah, the biggest free agent signing the Titans had. Um, yeah, I don't know because I will say that he did start Kenny Vaccaro over Kendrick Lewis. Uh, well, yeah, in that offseason. Mean, that that Kenny well, Vaccaro was a veteran. Like, right, but he was also like a late addition to camp. Like that's he wasn't true. That started out, so it you know it that was a sign of him bringing in somebody that like when he could have just plugged and played his guy in there because uh, Cyprian got hurt because like Cyprian got his injury in the preseason or like in training camp or whatever that put him out for the whole season and they replaced him with Vaccaro instead of letting Kenny uh, or instead of letting uh, Kendrick Lewis slide up. So again, hopefully this is, you know, best case scenario. And sometimes we say this and sometimes, you know, logic prevails and sometimes we say it and it doesn't, but hopefully this is not a scenario where they think this guy's going to start until Fulton's ready because I just, I think that's just a really good way to get beat for four games before you make the switch. You know, and I think it's yeah. worth bringing up when it comes to, in Vrabel's defense, A.J. Brown was the unfamiliar guy, right? He didn't play at all in training camp. or I played a little bit in the preseason. Um, and day one of the regular season against the Browns, he was the go-to target. And, and I, I, I remember really appreciating that. Because it showed some nuance of the Titans coaching staff. It wasn't just this pigeonhole of like, well, rookies are rookies and they're going to be the backups until we decide not to. Like, it was just like, play your best players. Like, and I think that's probably what they'll do, right? Christian Fulton's going to be the third cornerback. But I do think it is interesting with the special teams thing. Can Joseph. Be it, will he be valuable enough to be active as a defender and a defender only? And and Matias, I think you make a good point too about maybe Fulton plays special teams some. I could certainly see that happening. Yeah, rookies usually do play special teams, no matter how high they were drafted or or um, how good they really are. Uh, it, I, I find this really interesting because I remember like a month ago we were talking about the cornerback depth chart after Sims signed with the Bengals, I think. And we knew Logan Ryan wasn't coming back. And we were like, well, we, we definitely need cornerbacks. We had like three on the roster and now we have like eight with four of them who are probably in a battle for spots, which is, which is crazy after, after that happened initially. Yeah. It's, I mean, they went from having two guys with experience in Adore Jackson and, and Malcolm Butler to, you know, veterans everywhere you've got develop you know you got somebody like chris ja- uh chris jackson who's you know potentially good nobody has any idea like nobody spent yeah, time watching him. Season. yeah so it's like and he supposedly ran like a 4-4 or like a sub 4-4 and he had 45 pass breakups and you know like you have these guys where you could see mike Vrabel wanting to keep him on the roster and squeezing him into a special teams role like they did with crookshank like I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. It's it's weird to say, but I am excited to see how the special teams kind of shakes out with you know Bates gone with some when a lot of familiar faces not there anymore. Yeah, I, I, you know, the more we talk about it, like I came into this thinking like 
Joseph might see some snaps at cornerback three, and now I'm thinking like he might make not make the team. Yeah, I mean it, because of the special no, teams thing. Yeah, I mean, I think this is. I think it's going to speak a lot to like the off season. Like, how hard is it to teach rookies what you want them to do in a defense where you have this kind of off season? Because if they don't feel like Jackson and Fulton are ready, or if they feel like just Fulton's ready and Jackson, you know, isn't worth the spot, then Joseph makes it. But I mean, if both those guys are young, athletic, has special teams versatility, can play inside and out, like. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's going to be hard for the Titans to just say, like, no, we're going to cut Jackson and hope he clears to our waivers and all that. Like, I don't know that they do that. So now I want to talk about um, another position where uh, I think that the Titans do need to add some more pieces, and I think we all would agree with that, and that's wide receiver. And we hit on this a little bit in our draft recap episode and we threw out some names of of maybe potential free agent fits but like it's 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 a problem like it's worth talking about again it is it is and we talked a little bit about it before we started this pod and i mentioned that i'm a little worried because i know we have the the top three the top three are set it's Corey davis aj brown and adam humphreys but I'm even worried about that because we're not all totally sold on Corey Davis. Uh, uh, he's a good player. He's definitely a solid. He's a solid player. But in terms of him being an impact wide receiver too, I just I don't know yet. We saw it in his second year. We didn't see it in his third year. I think we think or we know that AJ Brown is a stud and he might take another step forward this season. But Adam Humphreys was injured for like a chunk of the year last year, and we never got to see him maybe fully healthy and actually incorporated incorporated into the offense. Hopefully we will, and he will be the primary slot receiver. But it's something to consider because if, it, if, he, if he's injured again, and maybe he's an injury-prone kind of guy, and he misses a good amount of games this year, who is filling in for him? Because Cameron Batson and Khalif Raymond aren't slot guys. They're simply too small to really do much except be deep threats, even though Cameron Bats is not even fast. And then we have <laughs> Cody, Hall- Cody Hollister, who's tall. That's cool. And Rashard Davis is on the team. I don't even know who that is. So I'm concerned, man. Like, this is not this is not a R- wide receiver R- depth chart that's very inspiring. Rashard Davis is in the, in terms of his build, is in the Bats and Raymond mold. Oh, well. Which is not we, where you want to be. We clearly have a type. I don't know why. but <laughs> We really have a type bad. At the top of the uh, roster, it's physical freaks, and then at the bottom, it's like right, tiny and underdog that's, dudes. That's exactly why those guys get in that spot. Like, I I don't know. Like, we've got the you know one of the most prolific rookies of all time in A.J. Brown. You've got the best wide receiver, two in the AFC South. <laughs> and then you've got a professional, like, slot receiver who... A professional slot high- receiver. Well, he, he had, like, the highest catch rate among slot receivers in the NFL last year. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, on paper, like we said, like, that three is great. And we barely see three, three wide receivers out on the field anyway because they've got so many two tight end sets and all that. But at the same time, like... 
you have to feel really nervous after that. Like even, and I've had people tell me that they like Khalif Raymond and I get it. Like I like Khalif Raymond. Like he's a fun speed guy and all that, but you can really only use him one way. Like when he's on the field, he's not a guy who can run nine routes. Like he can run, well, he can run a nine route. I was about to say if that's a, there's a play on words. Yeah. Play there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like that's great, but it is very limited and very specific. Um, I don't even think you can use him in like reverses. Like they use AJ Brown sometimes. I mean, I think he's just gotta be, I'm going to run down the field and somebody's going to cover me or they're not like, and that was great last year. I mean, he caught touchdowns against the Colts and the Patriots like that, or the Colts and the Ravens like that. So like, that's cool. Like that's worth a roster spot. But I mean, I don't like Batson. Like, I don't think he's, I don't think he gives you anything. Yeah, I know. Surprise, surprise. Like, uh, Rashard Davis, no thanks. Like, tre- I if you told me that Trevian Thompson was on the roster before I was looking at it in front of me, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I don't know who that is. Yeah, like that's like that's the uh, Kevin Pamphil of this group. Like somebody who like is just going to be a scratch or like I'm never going to like see him play. Like you know, Hollister, I liked, but I mean he just is Ferkser, right? Like a big yes, tall white yes. guy who can catch, but is not going to get you anything yeah. after the catch. Really, like they've Wait, got that. I think, but- I think some of these undrafted free agents are going to have a legitimate chance to make this roster. Like Kinsey, the guy from Division mm-hmm. III Barry College, who's kind of like an Adam Humphreys clone uh, from what I've seen, and Christian Wilkerson, the receiver out of Southeast, Southeast Missouri, where that is John Robinson's alma mater. He was incredibly productive and kind of has the same build as Tajay Sharp. So those guys are probably going to have a chance to make the roster because the other guys – that we just mentioned don't really inspire all that much confidence except for Raymond who has made plays, but like he's only a deep threat. He really can't be more than that. I mean, it's, it's a problem. I mean, for two reasons, one being that we saw, I feel like a broken record. We I've, I've said this so much both on here and I said this on other, someone else's podcast that I went on a few weeks ago. I've written this. It's, we saw how much Tajay Sharp played last year as the number four receiver before Humphreys got hurt. Just like in the number four receiver role. And then when Humphreys got hurt, he's obviously playing like 90% of the snaps. And so my question to anyone who thinks the Titans are pretty sad at wide receiver is, so you think that Khalif Raymond or Cameron Batson or Cody Hollister, or any of these other players we've named, some of whom I've never heard of before, is going to play that role? Like, it's just not going to happen. And I'm not saying it has to. We have, they need a Tajay clone, you know, someone that's 6'2 and slim and not that fast but can catch anything that's thrown to him and, and work the sideline. They just need someone who can do more than one thing. And I, you know what? I think Khalif Raymond is a pretty good option as a fifth receiver. But there's a big difference between number five and number four. There really is. Yeah, there is. And it's why I'm a little, not confused, but I was a little taken aback that they didn't address receiver in the draft, especially in the fifth round when uh, James Prochet from SMU was on the board. He fit all the criteria. He kind of had a similar body type to Tajay Sharp, had production. Uh, it, I thought they were going to go there in the fifth round. They ended up taking Murchison instead, which is which was also a position of need. They needed depth there. 
But I don't know. Maybe they're sold on the receiver position on the roster. I, I don't think so. I think there's a veteran acquisition coming. It always seems to happen later in the later in the summer uh, once training camp is kind of underway or even even ending. And there's still plenty of veteran options available. Some of them who are more niche players like Taylor Gabriel or Paul Richardson. Although Gabriel can kind of do it all. He, he, he did it all in Chicago and Atlanta too. Richardson's more of a deep threat, kind of like a spectacular catch kind of guy. Uh, but there are guys like Jarius Wright, uh, Chris Hogan's out there, Jermaine Curse is out there, guys who can actually get it done. Chester Rogers also who played for the Colts uh, for a couple of seasons and was actually pretty solid. There are guys out there, and I think they're going to dip into that because I would find it really hard to believe that they're completely sold on the position. I don't I, I don't know because you just go through the best wide receiver class, quote-unquote, in the last decade. There's good free agents that are all across, you know, you got Amari Cooper. I mean, there's there's plenty of names. Like you had a chance to add receivers if you wanted to add receivers, but through both processes, you come away with nothing. And I mean, sure, they could go out and sign like Josh Gordon or somebody like that, like somebody who's just like a freak game breaker who, you know, like for whatever reason isn't like you know we know for whatever reason, but like. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know why you would wait until this point in the process to add somebody, but it's to the point where if they make a trade, which they could because they've got extra draft picks next year, it's going to be hard for me to understand why they made that trade. And I I don't know, because you've got Corey Davis and you really want to see either do we sign him to another contract or do we let him walk and hopefully get a compensatory pick? Then you've got Humphreys. I mean, you've got, you've got your whole wide receiver room is already set up. You really need to draft somebody to develop for next year. It all comes back to this is why you don't draft an offensive tackle in the first round. Like this is why you spend that pick on somebody else, knowing that you have Dennis Kelly there, knowing that you have a guy with a high floor and a low ceiling starting at right tackle instead of taking a big swing at right tackle and letting wide receiver fall away. Like I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it, but I mean, this is just kind of how they played it. I, I mean, you know, it is weird because we're sitting here and like, it's such a big need, but yeah, I'd be shocked if they went and got one of these guys. Like a, you mentioned, I think you mentioned Taylor Gabriel or, or Josh Gordon or Demarius Thomas or someone like that. I don't know. They did go do it with 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 uh, Joseph. They had a need at uh, at corner at depth, so they went out and got a veteran. I don't know, man. Like, it would not shock me if August rolls around and training camp happens, and we see Cam Batson and and Khalif Raymond running around out there as the number four receivers. Ooh, man, I hate that. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah, like I don't, I don't like that at all. Yeah, that's that's how you lose in the playoffs is because when exactly. you're in the playoffs, you start to. De- I mean, you have to depend on your fourth receiver, on your third offensive tackle, on your you know you have to depend on the depth as well as like your dominant positions. And you know, this team may be great if that's the roster for the first eight games, and then you know once you start getting banged up, you're going to be good at corner, but you're going to have no wide receivers to play. So, I. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how many, I, how many snaps did Darius Jennings play last year? Because I felt like he was on the field a lot, a lot more than we wanted. 115. You said I'm Darius Jennings? Because Darius Jennings got cut yeah. like halfway through the season. 
Oh, I know, but I swear he was always getting targeted in the end zone. That did happen. Now that you mentioned that, because I remember that too. Times. Just inexplicably. Which that's going to be Cameron Benson this year, or someone, or Cody Hollister, and that concerns me a lot. So Khalif Raymond got 106 uh, snaps, and Darius Jennings got 59 snaps. Really? Wow. Okay. Never mind then. Yeah. But those—that's your wide receiver five. Like that's—that's that's what that position amounts to. So, like your quote-unquote wide receiver five played 170 snaps last year, and your wide receiver four, which is Tajay Sharp, played 486 snaps last year. So, like Man, you're talking about that's a lot of snaps. Yeah, like so you're talking about and by comparison, um, AJ Brown played 800, 837. So less than. You know, more than half is what Tajay Sharp played. So, like, you're you're getting Khalif Raymond on sixty percent of your snaps, or you're getting Cam Batson on sixty percent. You know, that's how this is shaken out, and that's that's not good. That that is not ideal. The good the good thing that you just mentioned is that AJ Brown got half of Tajay Sharp snaps. That's obviously gonna completely flip. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Said- I, I might I think I said it wrong. Uh, AJ Brown got 837 snaps, so he got twice as many. So Tajay got twice. Tajay got 60 percent of his snaps. Yeah, I, I was about yeah. to say. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I missed that. I realized it as I was saying it, but I hoped it would just kind of go through. But yeah, AJ Brown got 837. So Tajay Sharp had like 60 percent of AJ Brown's snaps. And Corey Davis had how many? 854. So they were like they were neck and neck. Okay, it's going to be the same this year. Man, I don't... Who is going to replace Tajay Sharp snaps? I really have no idea. It's a problem. I mean... Unless they're going know. full two tight ends, but they, they only they only have three tight ends. Break, breakout I mean, candidate, Michael season, Pruitt. I mean, Pruitt what's this whole offseason has been... It's just like we're going to get two tight ends out on the field and we're going to run the ball a billion times. I mean, they've doubled and tripled down on the run game. That's so boring, especially seeing how the Packers are doing the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's be- boring and it's ineffective. So, Well, we're going to take a quick break so that you can hear a word from one of our sponsors. And then we're going to bring Mike Herndon onto the show. We always love... Talking to Mike, he is a newly minted father, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, So 30 seconds, and then Mike Herndon. So we're joined by, you know, I was telling Will earlier, we're recording this on a Wednesday night at about 7.30. Maybe the one guest that could get me away from watching Survivor on the TV on a Wednesday night. (laughs) That being Mike Herndon. Some of you know him as Mike Miracles on Twitter, at Mike Miracles. And Mike, congratulations are in order. You and your wife just adopted a baby boy. Give us the lowdown on all of that. Yeah, so uh, we're pretty pumped. We've been, uh, you know, I think we've, we've kind of let people in on the process and everything a little bit as we've gone. But, um, you know, adoption's a long and, uh, you know, sometimes extremely stressful process, but, um, they finally uh, paid off in the end here this past week when uh, our baby boy was born and everything has been finalized and good to go. So um, we are thrilled. You know, he's our, our first uh, child, and um, we couldn't be happier. He uh, 
is born last Thursday. So as far as he knows, uh, Isaiah Wilson and Christian Fulton and Darrington Evans and all those guys have always been Titans. So an interesting perspective for him. What a world. Um, <laughs> I, I guess we might as well jump into it just because that's the reason why I just had to have you on. But I just want you to go ahead and explain to me what you see when you see Isaiah Wilson, because I've been <laughs> on record as being pretty <laughs> negative about him. And uh, I call them John Robinson's worst first round pick, which I still think is true, but that is a fairly high bar, but go ahead and just tell me what you kind of see when you watch him. Yeah. So, and you know, to be honest with you, my initial thought when, when I first kind of, looked at Wilson and, and kind of looked at the measurables and took a brief kind of view of his tape was, was that I don't know that this guy's a, a great fit for what the Titans are looking for in the tackle. You know, I thought they might go for, for more of a, you know, high agility score kind of Ezra Cleveland type. Uh, but, you know, when I went back and, you know, I think it was about a week or so before the draft, I was like, well, let me go back and watch some of these guys that I think, the Titans are paying attention to uh, based on reports. And I, I went back and watched Wilson in more depth, and I kind of changed my tune on him. Because to me, when I went back and watched him closer, he moves really well. I think he's a, a nasty mauler. And just the scheme fit and, and really kind of the biggest takeaway I had from the whole Titans draft was fit. Um, they drafted guys that fit exactly what they want to do and, and really kind of – plug in neatly into roles on their team in my opinion and and if you look at what georgia did running the football with their zone scheme uh a lot of that's going to translate for isaiah wilson and the fact that he did play right tackle and they aren't trying to flip him from left to right you know that doesn't sound like a huge deal but i do think it'll help him compete earlier on um in the process with dennis kelly and you know potentially even uh you know wrestle that starting job away from him um you know before the season even starts so i I think there's a lot to like there, um, but I think he's a better athlete than he tested. Um, the explosive test, the vertical, the broad jump were uh, off the charts good for a guy of his size. Uh, you know, nobody had ever jumped uh, the broad and the vertical at those levels weighing more than 338 pounds before he did it, and uh, he became the first by like 12 pounds uh, to meet both of those marks. So. There, there's some special things with him, I think, physically, um, obviously the size, the length, uh, the power. Um, and he's still young. He's 21 years old. He's a smart kid, conscientious guy that, that loves to uh, study offense and tackle play and study offense in general, um, according to everybody that you listen to uh, talk about him. And I, I think there's a lot to like about him. There's, there's still some drawbacks, to be sure, but um, you know, he's definitely not a polished, finished product by any means, but... I think there's a really high like Pro Bowl uh, upside with him. So, okay, I, I hear all that, and I, I do agree that when they took him, I think their thinking was, okay, he's got two years of experience at a great college program where he and Andrew Thomas were the stalwarts, like that they, they were what made that offense go in the run game. Like, I, I understand all that. I think. I think they think that he's got a physical nasty demeanor and it helps that he's six, six and a half with really long arms and a thick trunk. And, you know, he's, he, he does fit, you know, that power right tackle that you think of, but 
when I watch him, my problem is he gets on the ground so often. And it doesn't matter whether he's going to the second level or whether he's just trying to scoop block and, like, you know, take a zone step to his left, which is, you know, towards the play side where he's backside. He takes, I mean, there's nothing wrong with his steps inherently, but then he always seems to end up on the ground. And then when he drops in pass pro, I think he is so afraid of speed rushers that he jumps out so far. He, sometimes gives up the inside move. Sometimes his inside hand is strong enough where it's not a problem, which is is great. But there's other times where he's just so like scared of getting beat around the edge that he just kick slides too far back. I, I don't know. Like I think if you take a right tackle at the end of the first round, it's got to be a guy where you're saying, okay, he's going to instantly start and be better than Dennis Kelly, or he's, you know, somebody that we think in a year is going to be a pro bowler. And I don't know that I like, I see more of Kaleche Osimile than I see of any other offensive tackle prospect that's described to me, just a big body guy who kind of dominated with length and being so thick, but who's probably going to have to move inside at the second level. See, I, I think there, I mean, your points are valid. I mean, he, he does end up on the ground a lot. I think a lot of that comes from him lunging, and he plays with an inconsistent pad level to me. He gets too upright at times, and then other times he'll uh, try to lunge forward and kind of go for the kill shot, and I think that's where he kind of ends up on the ground a lot. Um, but I, I think those are technique things that they can work through uh, at the next level. I, I don't think just from watching, uh, you know, I don't think his, like, his balance is necessarily terrible. Uh, I just think he's kind of got a little bit of a technique issue that, that he's you know, maybe just a little bit lazy with his, uh, his pad level at times. And that can be just, you know, product of him being six, six and 350 pounds. And it's hard to, to really keep that good body lean and, and bend your legs all the time, uh, for that long. But, um, you know, I, I think that's something that he can improve upon at the next level. Um, and as far as the oversetting, I agree with that completely. He, the, the, if you look at all of his pass rush reps, which I really have at this point, the only move that really he gives up a whole lot of pressure on is the inside spin move. I and mean, Caleb on chasing got him a couple times with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it a couple other times in, in a few other games. Um, but I mean, that, that is, that is kind of his kryptonite a little bit. Uh, and I do think, I think you're right. It's, it's, he is a little bit self-conscious that he doesn't want to get beat around the edge, but the irony is, in all the tape that I watched, I don't think I saw him get threatened, like really threatened around the edge more than maybe once or twice total. Um, and he's, he's actually really quite good at, at getting out and, and taking away that speed rush on the outside. His length helps there. Uh, you know, he's, he's really good at once a guy kind of gets to that lean where he's trying to bend, bend that corner, he just gets a, a paw on him and knocks him, uh, you know, kind of, uses his momentum against him and shoves him past the quarterback. He did that quite a bit. Um, and I think that's, that's again, it's a coachable issue to me that, you know, hey, we need to work on how do we deal with the inside spin counters. And, you know, he's got a couple guys like uh, Rashawn Evans has a really great uh, inside spin move that, that maybe he could work against in camp and, and try to get some looks at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are certainly valid concerns. Um, but I do think from a fit standpoint and from a uh, mentality standpoint, I think that's exactly what they want to do. Um, and another thing with him is, you know, 
he kind of profiles to me like a Orlando Brown, Trent Brown type. Those are two guys that he mentioned at the combine that he studies their game. You know, those are similar size, you know, six, six plus three fifty plus type tackles. Um, and both of them were are pro bowl, uh, level players at the NFL level. And neither of those guys were nearly the prospect that Wilson is coming out. Uh, in my opinion, I went back actually and watched some Orlando Brown and Trent Brown tape from college and those guys, I mean, they look like they're stuck in molasses half the time. Um, Wilson moves much better than they do, uh, and he has the similar power and, and length and everything. So I think if you want to look at upside, I think, you know, you look at a Trent Brown, you look at a Orlando Brown, and you say, all right, if he can be that plus maybe a little bit more athletic, that's a really high-end player. Obviously, we don't know if he'll get there or not, and, and those technique issues that you mentioned are certainly valid that you know are going to need to be cleaned up before he's anywhere near uh, the player at the NFL level that those guys became. Um, but uh, the tools are certainly enticing um, when you look at them. And, and of all the tackles that were available, I kind of like Josh Jones a little bit more, to be honest with you. Um, but I can understand the drawbacks with him, too. He might be a little bit capped out. He played against a lower-level competition. Um, you know, there's there's certainly question marks with him, too. But with Wilson, you know, you kind of got the Power 5 pedigree, the five-star recruit out of high school pedigree. And, and you know, it's, it's definitely a guy that, you know, you look at and you go, okay, he could be a special player. Yeah, I think it helps that he's so massive, like – it, it being a five star definitely helps, but him just being such a huge human and John Robinson even said it for the draft yeah. is, you know, that, you know, there's only so many of those humans on the planet, which is the whole planet theory thing. But I'll ask this and then right. let Matias ask some questions. But if he ends up having to kick inside, like, let's say the Titans have a bye week, week eight, and either the Titans have tried to start him and had to go back to Dennis Kelly, or if Dennis Kelly is just a better starter, if he ends up being let's say Nate Davis's replacement at right guard for the rest of his career. Is that it? Will we look back on that and think, okay, that was still a good pick or does he kind of have to stick at tackle to be worth a first round pick? To me, he probably needs to stick at tackle. I, I unless he's going to end up being a Quentin Nelson level guard. Um, I don't, I don't think he's been first round picks on guards to this day, you know, tackles a little bit different just because, the, the athleticism required to play out on the edge and the length and everything else is just, you know, like, like you said, the planet theory, there's a very limited number of those guys that, that are walking around on, on planet earth. So um, I think he needs to play a tackle for it to be worth a first round pick, but I, I, I ultimately think he will. Uh, I, I think Davis ends up being their long-term right guard. I, I suppose you could see a scenario where, Wilson kicks to right guard and then Davis eventually replaces Saffold when he gets, you know, kind of aged out at left guard um, where you could see both those guys playing inside long-term. But I think Davis is probably going to end up being a long-term piece for them. Um, I think he came on big time late last season and uh, they've got to be at least somewhat excited about what they saw from him down the stretch. Sticking with the draft, but maybe moving on a little bit from Wilson, what did you? What were your general thoughts on, on the rest of the draft class? Uh, and are there is there a specific pick that really stands out to you as someone who's going to make a real impact uh, during their time here in their initial contract? I mean, for me, it's Christian Fulton getting him in the second round. I wanted him in the first round. I thought he was a legitimate yeah. top top twenty talent and either cornerback two or cornerback three in this draft, in my opinion. Uh, 
what was your favorite pick and what are your thoughts on the rest of, of the draft class as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not a unique take, but I, I think it's the right one that Fulton uh, was the best pick of the draft. I, I'm like you. I had him as the third best corner in the class. I thought the Titans would have been lucky for him to fall to them at 29. And when he was on the board at 29, that's ultimately who I thought they might pick. Um, I, I thought it was going to come down to Wilson or Fulton at that point. Um, and for them to end up with both of them is, is almost like Harold Landry, Rashawn Evans S to me, um, as far as what I think the Titans wanted out of this draft, because I, I think the Titans, you know, couldn't have asked for a better corner to follow them at 61 out of all the guys that were on the board, uh, at 29, Fulton was my favorite by far. And I think what he does for you from a press man standpoint, and his ability to cover faster receivers. I mean, that's what the Titans ultimately, their downfall was last year. Uh, you know, they could not cover the Tyreek Hills. And granted, nobody is really covering Tyreek Hills that well in the NFL, but uh, other teams do a better job of it than what the Titans did. And, and they struggled with guys like Kenny Stills and stuff like that, too, who are more just fast uh, and not just, you know, insanely fast. Um, so I think getting some more speed and, and ability to play press man. When you look at the Titans starting corners now with uh, Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, and Christian Fulton, you've got to be pretty excited about what that looks like from a press man standpoint because if you can come up and step up to the line of scrimmage on third down and have confidence that your corners are going to be able to survive and you can bring some heat, uh, that opens up all kinds of stuff for you uh, from a third down rush standpoint. And, uh, you know, it makes, makes quarterbacks' life miserable because it takes away all your easy throws. Uh, in that situation too so I'm pretty excited to see what he does last thing for you Mike last week we got the news from the Titans that Dory Jackson's fifth year option was picked up I think that was probably expected he's, he's been really good for the Titans over the last three seasons and then also expected was them not picking up Corey Davis fifth year option because he has since he's been a fifth round pick been underwhelming this is a discussion we like to have on here all the time. It's almost become a running joke about Corey Davis. But I do want to ask you seriously, <laughs> you know, the argument that goes back and forth is, you know, people say, well, he's good, but, you know, he clearly wasn't worth the fifth-round pick. But those aren't mutually exclusive. And, yes, I agree with that. However, I kind of sit here and say, but that that's a problem. It's like sweeping it under the rug. It's like, well, hey, they might not have gotten a top five talent, but they got a pretty good number two. But, but like, that's a problem when you take someone fifth overall. And so I guess just what I'm asking for is your, your thoughts on that general situation and then also maybe what it is about him that has not been number five pick worthy because I get the argument of, well, they don't throw enough for anyone to be like that. But we saw A.J. Brown be the excuse eraser last year in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it is an interesting argument with Corey Davis. And I do fall in the camp of, you know, he. if you want to know if he has been a value for the number five overall pick in that draft, absolutely not. I mean, you look at the other guys they could have had there, and, and some of these guys were on the radar and, and realistic options. Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Jamal Adams. I, you know, Lattimore was the guy I wanted at, at the fifth pick there uh, when he was on the board. So, you know, that would have been better, obviously. Um, and and Davis, 
really at this point is probably like the fourth best receiver in that draft class. You know, you look at uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Chris Godwin, uh, Kenny Galladay. Uh, those guys all went, you know, day two, and they've well outperformed uh, Corey Davis to this point in their career. And I do think the point about, you know, the passing volume is a valid one. Uh, the Titans are 32nd in the league, uh, dead last in pass attempts over the past two seasons. Um, and if you normalize his stats to like a league average passing volume, you know, he can't catch passes when they're not throwing them, obviously. So if you normalize it to a league average volume, he ends up being like, you know, in the 20 to 25 ish range of receivers over the past two years in receiving yards. Um, he hasn't scored a whole lot of touchdowns, which is a mark against him as well, because I thought one of his big draws would be with his size and kind of, uh, leaping ability that he might be a, a better, bigger red red zone target than what he has been to this point. But um, yeah, I think he is is a difficult evaluation, right? Because you see all the tools there. You know, he's uh, he's pretty fast. He's physical. Uh, he runs good routes a lot of the time. Um, you know, he mostly catches the ball well. He has a few concentration drops here and there. Um, but you know, he does doesn't do anything spectacular it seems like you know you want a guy if you're going to make him a wide receiver one to make that catch that aj brown made against the texans where he's got two guys draped all over him and he just catches it falling out of bounds dragging the feet behind him inbounds like you want that play out of a number five overall pick and davis has yet to make really many of those plays he you know had a couple against uh new england but uh you know it has been way too far and in between um so I think he's he's a good player. He's a good football player. Like like Corey Davis's trash is a take that I see too often uh, that is mostly rooted, I think, in disappointment of, of expectations. And that's, you know, that's understandable, but he's not a bad football player. He's just a okay, you know, solid, really probably a really good, I think, wide receiver two uh, in the NFL with maybe wide receiver one capabilities. Um that is in a low volume passing offense, but you know, he does do the, you know, he blocks, he doesn't complain. He, he does a lot of things that I think people, uh, you know, should like about him, but he doesn't really get any love because he is the fifth overall pick, you know? And so that's kind of that, uh, weight hanging over his, his shoulders there. But, um, now I, I think they made the right move to decline the option. And I would expect he probably goes on, uh, somewhere else uh, after this season, um, you just can't pay that kind of money to a guy that's essentially a wide receiver too at this point because there, there's no way you can look at what AJ Brown did last year and say you know with any certainty that that Davis can surpass that. Um, but I, you know I don't think there's a necessarily the the Devonte Parker you know kind of career is off the table for Davis right you know disappointment has his fifth year option decline and then finally it clicks for him you know later on in his career and, and he starts to you know show that ability that everybody wanted from him when he was such a high pick so you know i still think there's hope for him in his nfl career but um yeah it's a, it's a very complicated and, and uh difficult evaluation to make because there's so many layers to it and, and so much expectation put upon him Mike, thanks so much for your time. As always, we uh, we very much appreciate it. And again, congratulations. Absolutely. I appreciate it, guys. And thanks for having me. And uh, 
Yeah, glad uh, glad I was able to to get some uh, quiet time from the baby to uh, jump on with you guys. Thank you, Mike. All right, see you guys. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Miracles. He's one of the very best follows when it comes to Titans Twitter. Will, before we play a quick 30-second word from one of our sponsors and then move on to the rest of our show, did Mike convince you on Isaiah Wilson? I mean, it, it's it's a hard question. Like, he brings up good points. You're far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low, low. Is that any better? Yes. Weird. Okay. Um, it's a hard question because he sees a lot of the same things that I see. Uh, you know, he talked about how he oversets, but how it doesn't always end up with him getting beat, you know, which is a concern. And if you're glass half full, that's good because at the end of the day, his job is to make sure that guy's blocked. But at the same time, when you see somebody doing something the wrong way and you see people get beat at the NFL level that way, it, it makes sense why I would be nervous about it, but I don't know. We'll have to see. He's His points are very well reasoned, so, I mean, I'll go yeah. back and I'll look, and maybe maybe I can convince myself of that, too. I just, I'm just i just not 100% sure. And I think with the Corey Davis stuff, too, because we touched on that, obviously, at the tail end, you know, that's kind of my soapbox, whereas Wilson has been yours. I, I certainly agree with – my stance is what he just – was just spewed out on Corey Davis. Yeah, I think we all kind of feel the same way about Davis. We don't think he's bad by any stretch of the imagination. We just don't think he's the guy we drafted him to be, and we're not sure that he'll ever be that guy. And, you know, I yeah, used it, I used the phrase excuse eraser, and I remember telling you guys that week one when A.J. Brown went off because – all you ever really hear with yeah. Davis from his, his the people who are still convinced that he's the man is, well, they don't throw the ball very much. Well, he's had Mariota, and Mariota wasn't all that good. And, and well, they run the ball, and they really – and it's like A.J. Brown stepped right in there, and it was like, who cares? I'm going to go out there and be really, really good. And so it's like he's the excuse eraser, and Corey Davis, you know, not necessarily his fault, but – what he does from fans is like garners the excuses. I mean, yeah. we, we should also talk about the fact that AJ Brown did have one of the best, you know, a prolific rookie campaign. Like he's the first guy to have a thousand yards on less than 50 catches. And, you know, he, he it's not normal what he did. It, it's okay, fair to I'll, say, I'll give you that. It's fair to say that if he played in new Orleans, he would have ended the season with 1600 yards and not a thousand yards. Like that, there's certain things about volume that just, you know, do matter. But at the same time, yeah, like you're right. When you see A.J. Brown catch a slant and run 70 yards behind a Corey Davis block, you you say, okay, it makes sense why that guy's blocking for him and why that guy's catching it. You know, that those things are pretty evident when they happen. So, And I don't think they're the same type of receiver, and I don't know that the Titans have necessarily used Corey Davis in the correct way, but – I also will concede that if you take a wide receiver in the top five, you're expecting there to be no wrong way to use that receiver. So yeah, exactly, you know, yeah, and and I think we I think everybody kind of has to meet somewhere in the middle on this because it's not black and white, and it wouldn't shock me if we saw Corey Davis go to New Orleans or some other pass heavy team and have an incredible statistical season, and then you know, we would all be kicking ourselves, but that's just not what this offense is going to give him. Exactly. 
Okay, yeah. we're, we're going to play 30 seconds from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll have Stomp the Nonsense and
some more Titans discussion. All right, we're going to close out with our Stop the Nonsense segment where we identify the biggest nonsense either in the sports world or out of the sports world. Uh, Mine this week is in the sports world. It's from Jacina Anderson, the ESPN reporter, and I think this is her first appearance, shockingly, on this segment. Um, But so I, I don't know what the origin of this was, but I remember reading this and thinking this didn't make any sense. But but I, sometimes I have to remind myself, like because I'm a writer, I'm like, well, sometimes you know, you, there are some grammar things that you get that other people may not understand. And it still doesn't make sense. Well, no, I look through the replies, and all the replies are like, uh, "Are you drunk? Okay, what does this even mean?" Um, and so this is the Josina Anderson tweet. <clears throat> the Vrabel New England slash Houston connection is multi layered with so many, in many spheres, all around. I can't, I can't get over it. I don't know what it means. I mean, I get, I, get, I, get, I get what she was trying to say, like, Mike Vrabel has deep ties to New England and Houston, right? That was kind of the, the message of this. But instead, it's the Vrabel-New England-Houston connection is multi-layered with so many... In many spheres, all around, with so with so many what? Did she? She must have tweeted that like four twenty p.m. Right? Dude, Nine. She like didn't delete it, which is wild. Like, I mean, she didn't delete it. No, no it's, it's still, still there. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Like, I, I mean, team no delete or whatever, <laughs> but like, someone repli- that's wild. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, someone someone replied with a video of like that I imagine is intended for hypnotic purposes. Like <laughs> people caught on that this didn't make any sense. And there like as far as I know there was never any follow up. This was what like the day after the draft or this something. This was this was at 9 p.m. Like this was just like a like before I sign off for the day tweet. What what Dude, date was this on? The 29th April of 29th. April. Which one? Yeah. So yeah, so like a couple of days like a couple of days after the draft, and like nobody's been signed. Like there haven't been any trades. Like I think this was after the Joseph things. thing. This is it was after the Joseph. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. But, but still, still, after like, why would you say it after? Like, are we gonna have a report that comes out that like the Patriots were trying to sign him or something, or like, w- like I I don't know. What bothers very... me is the syntax of it because I don't understand. It's not a sentence. Yeah, it's not I'm a sure. sentence. There's no conclusion. It makes me think it's going to be, like be one of those things where uh, uh, Sean Payton did the a uh, thing to do the twenty four to three a uh, thing to the Atlanta Falcons. Did y'all see that? Where uh, the Falcons like call, th- this is a tangent, but th- some Falcons fan like called him out on Twitter or something. Uh, Sean Payton and they were like, go back to doing your movie reviews uh, online or from your couch. And so he, he had a tweet where the first uh, number or letter in each sentence was like 24 to uh, three, like, cause that's what happened. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. And like, and I was like, damn, I was like, that is <laughs> ruthless to do to somebody. Like imagine making like tens and millions of dollars and still being petty enough to go after people on, instagram or on a twitter like that um 
Okay, I'm going to jump into my stop the nonsense before I get on another tangent. But mine was uh, this. I'm sure you all have seen this. It was, you know, it's not a bad article, I guess. But The Athletic did this thing where somebody went and talked to uh, scouts and got their opinion on – got one scout's opinion on every team's draft. And, you know, there's dumb scouts that say everything, you know – Every year, you can find a scout that thinks anything. You could find plenty of scouts that thought Lamar Jackson was going to be a wide receiver and be a terrible quarterback. I mean, you get these bad takes all the time. But this, you know, quote unquote executive said was breaking down the Titans class. And, you know, he said this about when they drafted Christian Fulton in the second round. He said, if I was going to ding them, it would probably be uh, for their corners. You look at the rest of their roster, and they're pretty, go- pretty darn good, except corner. Adoree Jackson was a first-round pick, and he won't tackle, which stop pause for a second. That is fundamentally untrue. Adoree Jackson is one of the best tackling corners in the NFL. There was a stat last year that he makes – I forget. He makes X amount of tackles, and that's like 10% more than the number two because uh, I remember Paul Kaharski talked about how it must mean that his guys were catching a bunch of passes, and – it was more of an example of how the zone coverage that the Titans use lends to him making more solo tackles. But that's that's just one problem. So uh, then it says Logan Ryan was overpaid. Malcolm Butler was overpaid. Their Achilles heel w- a- uh, was and is their need for a number one corner coming into the draft. Like, uh, okay, I agree that they needed a corner coming into the draft and that was the number one need. Everything else is incorrect. Like, Logan Ryan wasn't overpaid. He was paid correctly over the course of his deal. He did. I mean, he was one of the best slot corners in the NFL. And, and I mean, the Titans didn't re-sign him, but that was more because of where they're going five years down the line, not because he couldn't play one more year with them. It's just, I, and we've already talked about how Malcolm Butler is so much better over the last 16 games than his first eight games. It all just coalesces into this pile of nonsense, and you know, which I guess is fitting for this take. But I mean, I don't know how you can look at the Titans' roster and look at the defense over, you know, seventy percent of the games over the last two years and not realize just how good that cornerback room is. It's just bad. It's just a bad take. Adoree's a good tackler. I've always, I've said that for years. Go look at my yeah. Twitter. I mean, I, I remember it's being very trait. impressed with him early on in his career. It's his best trait. Like, it, it, his his single best trait is that you can throw a screen at him or he can be 10 yards off coverage and he's going to break on the ball so quickly that maybe every now and then, like he did against Tyreek Hill, like he tries to go too low and like put too much force into it and he ends up like giving a little bit of ground and not being a form for perfect tackle. But – He's always willing to put his nose in it, and he usually takes his guy down. I mean, usually those little fast guys just kind of throw their bodies at people, but he's a rap tackler. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... He's almost willing, which is important. Yeah. I don't know. It's like the whole Titans defensive backs are almost built to, can you disrupt a pass? Can you make a tackle? If you can't, you're not going to be on the roster. Like, that's just how it is. Like, that's what John Robinson likes to look for in draft picks. That's what, you know, he's looked for in free agency when he got Kenny Vaccaro. Like, the whole defense as a whole, that's why they don't allow many big plays is because they're so good at tackling and stopping those, you know, 
five yard slant pass that go the AJ Brown plays the plays that AJ Brown kills defensive backs who won't tackle on. Yeah, so I'm gonna go ahead with my stop the nonsense. Uh, I have several. Uh, two of them are courtesy. <laughs> two of them are courtesy of at Kingfeeds30, who is a, a big fan of the show. I thought it was shout King, out. I thought it was King Fields. Maybe it is King Feeds. No, yeah, you're no, right. No it's King, but yeah, it's King Feeds. So he sent us a clip of Colin doing his predictions. He has the Titans going eight and eight, and his reasoning is that there's a reality about Tannehill. And he talks about the fact that we won playoff games despite Ryan Tannehill. I don't think that's necessarily true. That's he not. didn't hurt the team. Derrick Henry was just absolutely on fire, and you had to keep giving him the ball. If Tannehill was forced to throw, he would have made plays because he's the reason we got to the playoffs. He, Him coming into the lineup, completely revitalizing the passing offense, was the reason we went nine and seven and ended up going to the AFC championship game. So I thought that take was, was bad, but it is what it is. I mean, it's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of, you know, let's say that will misses our next podcast episode and Matthias and I do do a fine job in his stead and we put out a good episode and then will comes back and everyone's like, what's going to tank now? Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh man! Well, it's not like that, of course. So, yeah. my se- <laughs> my second is also courtesy of Kinky Thirty. Sorry, I messed up your name there. Uh, it's a tweet. It says unpopular opinion, but a truth because the stats show it. And it's a picture of Gardner Minshew, then the upgrade sign, and then. Tannehill. Oh, no, not upgrade. The greater than sign. So he's saying Gardner Minshew is better than Ryan Tannehill because the stats show it. What stats? Tannehill was like top five in every single category, like predictive metric category that there was last year. We said it throughout the season. If Ryan Tannehill had started week one, he would have uh, been an MVP candidate. Yeah, like without a doubt because the – Peripheral numbers were certainly there, uh, and he went on an insane run. It's probably not sustainable, but last year, certainly the stats uh, showed that. And, and, and then, uh, real quick, you know, on the sustainability thing, uh, Paul Kuharski has kind of been getting at people with that. They're like, well, Tannehill's success is not sustainable. And he's like, okay, so best in the league isn't sustainable. Let's say he regresses to 10th in the league. I think they'll still take that. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, it, and it's stupid because it's not like it. When you go back and watch him, it's not like he only hit like guys bare. Like it, the things he does are sustain. Like those things are sustainable. Like throwing passes to AJ Brown on slants where he's created a bunch of separation, and then AJ Brown creating after the catch. That's sustainable. Like. That it's got nothing to do with Tannehill. Like handing the ball off to Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry taking it for seventy yards, that's sustainable. We've seen him do that a billion times before. Like, you know, people don't talk about you. Also, we're going to get Adam Humphreys back, and you know, you can have a third wide receiver for a whole season, hopefully, instead of missing him. You know, for the last six weeks of the season. You know, there's so many different things that could go right that didn't that people focus so much on, well, this worked and it won't next year. It's like, yeah, but 
what if this goes right? Like, what if we do have a second back that works as well as your first back? Or what if they do get Johnny Smith more involved in space? Like, I don't know. Like, it may not be the same exact process, but the results are possible every year. Yes. I have one final. Yeah, I know this was a very long segment, but I have <laughs> one final stop the nonsense. And it's the video of Jameis Winston uh, that says tied the league lead for the most interceptions that weren't his fault with six when four of them are like pretty clearly his fault. Like I, I, I feel like I'm a Jameis Winston apologist at this point because he should have been signed to the team. I don't think he's horrendous. I actually think you could win with him, but there's no need to justify his interceptions. Like he was just reckless with the ball. It is what it is. And justifying it with saying that they weren't his fault when pretty clearly, like, he's throwing the ball to the opposite team. So something is wrong there. I just, that was that was a little ridiculous to me. And I think that, that that's like a side project of Kean Fahey, who we all know is very hit or miss and unpredictable. So. Yeah, I've, 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 I think I have him muted on Twitter half for a while. He just doesn't make sense most of the time. Correct. <laughs> he's the only person I follow. <laughs> Hello. One, y'all looking at one. How do we feel about those accounts where it's like ten thousand followers following one? So weird, very weird to me. It's it's a full flex. Like it's like look at how many people I'm. I'm like oh, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, that's gonna do for us. We uh, appreciate Mike joining us earlier. We thank you all for tuning in as well we'll be back probably next week i'm not going to guarantee it because as we mentioned earlier the content is a little hard to come by uh, but we'll try to come up with something to talk about until then for matthias and will i'm luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.